So the one thing about breathing is we have to consider we can influence the autonomic nervous system. And when we look at different conditions such as um, diabetes and other chronic conditions, those individuals are in an increased stress response, increased sympathetic drive. And we have to ask the question, are we really going to get to the bottom of those conditions when the body is in that stress response all the time? So, you know, the research over the last 30 years is really looking at heart rate variability, which is an objective measurement of vagal tone. And this it's really telling us how well is the body and mind in balance. And it's very important that we are in balance. We don't want to be too stressed. We don't want to be too relaxed. But we can self-regulate through the breath. Welcome to the Weight Loss for Women podcast, a place where we share everything you need to know about restoring your metabolism so you can eat more, train less, and lose weight in a healthy and sustainable way. I'm Kitty Bloomfield, co-founder of New Strength and Saturated, creator of pro-metabolic food supplements and seriously saturated skincare. And today I've got the author of The Oxygen Advantage, Patrick, and I was just fucking up his last name. <laughs> Saying it wrong. <laughs> Us Australians, maybe you should say it. McEwen. McEwen. I just can't yeah. say that nice accent. Uh, you can say it any way at all. Yeah. It doesn't really matter. He's uh, he's in Irish, obviously, in Ireland. And um, he's married, he's got one child and yeah, I've been reading his book and it's awesome and so cool. And I just, you know, think, um, you know, I've, I mean, I know it's not the same, but, but previous to this, I've got into a bit of the breath work and got more interested in breathing and, you know, it's just, it's really helped me. And I think, yeah, your book is so interesting and I just wanted to get you on the podcast to talk more about it. So maybe just start with who are you and a bit about your background. Yeah, so suppose. Anybody who goes into breathing, you don't choose it as a career. Well, at least you, you didn't back in the 1990s. You fall into it. And uh, so I was a kid growing up with asthma. And when you have asthma, you typically have a stuffy nose. When you have a stuffy nose, you are more likely to have sleep disorder breathing. So in school, I had poor concentration. I left school altogether at 40 and never to go back. I had a total sense of frustration with the education system. I was sitting there. But I couldn't absorb any of the information because what number one is I was living in my head and number two, my energy levels were quite low. But I did go back one year later and I got my exams, but it took a lot of work. I got into university, got my degree, got into the corporate world, was highly stressed in the corporate world. But of course, you're going to be highly stressed when your sleep is off mm. and when your breathing is putting you into that increased sympathetic driver, increased stress response. So then I read a newspaper article in 1998. It was about a Russian doctor and he's Ukrainian. I better paraphrase that or better put that right. Um, and he was working during the Soviet space race with astronauts. And part of his role was determining the ideal composition of air in capsules, space capsules. But he said two things about breathing. He said you should be always breathing in and out through your nose. And he said your breathing should be light. So I was doing neither of those things. My nose was stuffy, so I was a mouth breather, but you could hear my breathing. And I started practicing this technique and it really made a huge change. My asthma symptoms reduced by about 50% in two weeks. And my sleep improved. That night I taped my mouth closed. Now I Yeah, we, we tape our mouth sh shut at night too, and it makes a huge difference. Like I can't even imagine now, like if we go away and we don't have anything to tape our mouth, and I'm like, oh my God, I can't sleep, well, you know? That that originated with true 
myself and other pioneers back 20, 25 oh. years ago. Well, thank you very um, much. It's becoming it's becoming mainstream now, you know, that kind of way. Not quite there, but it's definitely getting getting there. And that was it, Kitty. You know, I didn't I left the corporate world and I trained in Russia under Dr. Buteko. He was there at the time. I came back, I was working only with people with asthma from between two thousand and two until about oh six or seven. Then with asthma and sleep issues, snoring, sleep apnea and insomnia. Then a lot of people with anxiety and panic disorder. That was post economic crash. Children we were always working with because children who are mouth breathing develop craniofacial changes. And I remember giving trainings to about 3,000 people between 2010 and 2013, people coming in with anxiety and panic disorder. I was bringing together functional breathing and mindfulness, the two together. I felt mindfulness alone isn't enough. Breathing alone wasn't enough. So for this cohort of people, let's look at their their physiology but also their psychology so the bottom up connection but also the top down connection so 90, 95% of people who attended were female and I was thinking to myself where are all the males in this and that's where Oxygen Advantage was born so Oxygen Advantage was born as this breathing technique that was more appealing to males because it was all about mental and physical performance and that then brought in, it also brought in the healthy audience because before that, I was always working with sick people. So it's kind of everything evolved, you know. And now I've written nine books. They're in 16, 17 languages. Um, we have 3,000 instructors in 50 countries. So, like, we have some really well-known instructors in, in Australia. Dean Gladstone, Bondi Rescue. Um, there's others as well. So there's a really great cohort of people as well. So, yeah, took 20 years, but uh, an overnight success. Yeah, that's right. That's always what it's like, though, isn't it? You, you also saw some of these people appear, and you think, "Oh, they came out of nowhere." But then, when you, you know, get to know them in their backstory, they, like you say, have been working for many, many years before it seems like they exploded. Okay, cool. All right, so now we know who you are. So talk about this. Like, if, if no one had heard anything about this, what what is this? What is this technique that you do? And and you know, like, how does it help people? Well, number one is the mouth isn't for breathing. Even though, you know, we often hear, well, during physical exercise, people typically breathe in and out through the mouth. Um, during many practices and yoga practices, in through the mouth, in through the nose and out through the mouth. But when we break it down, the human nose is responsible for about 30 functions in the human body. The nose is connected with the diaphragm, for example. The mouth isn't. The mouth is more connected with the upper chest. The nose is connected with the mind because of the olfactory nerve. So you have a connection there from the nose direct to the brain. So we select our partners, for example, based on our sense of smell. Our visuospatial awareness is also better with nasal breathing. So is memory and attention with nasal breathing. With nose breathing, we also typically breathe slower. And with slower breathing, it is a calming effect on the mind. So you can think of mouth breathing should always be considered activation of this fight or flight response. Whereas because mouth breathing is faster breathing, it's upper chest breathing, it's harder breathing, and nose breathing is about light, low, and slow breathing. But nose breathing isn't enough, because especially in today's modern era, and influenced by genetics, whether we have asthma, whether we have anxiety, whatever different conditions we have, perfectionist tendencies, etc., we can develop breathing pattern disorders. And breathing pattern disorders are relatively common. 75% of the anxiety and panic disorder population have them, 
and about 30% of the asthma population, but we believe it, believe it to be more. There was a, a recent article in the Journal of Strength and Conditioning Research, and it showed that 90% of the athletes that they tested, they tested 1,900 athletes from 2017 to 2020, and 90% of them had breathing pattern disorders from a biomechanical point of view. So basically, when you look at breathing, it's not just about whether you're breathing low using good recruitment of the diaphragm or whether you're breathing high. That's just the biomechanics, which is important, of course. But another aspect of breathing is the biochemistry. And the biochemical dimension of breathing is all about your sensitivity to the gas carbon dioxide. Because carbon dioxide is the primary driver to breathe. So every breath that we take is driven by carbon dioxide. Carbon dioxide increases in the blood, blood pH drops, and the brain responds by sending an increased stimulus to breathe or a stimulus to breathe via the phrenic nerve to the diaphragm. But some people have an oversensitivity towards carbon dioxide or a reduced tolerance of carbon dioxide. And as a result, their breathing is faster and harder. Now, when your breathing is faster and harder, you're more likely then to be breathless during physical exercise, but also you're more likely to feel air hunger. And because of the feeling of air hunger, so these people will often tell you, I just feel like I cannot take a deep breath. They'll typically breathe in the upper chest, so their biomechanics is thrown off. And if, for example, their breathing is harder and faster, they are more likely as well to have nasal congestion, depending on genetics. This will cause mouth breathing, which in turn can cause forward head posture. Sleep is off, stress levels are off. So the one thing about breathing is we have to consider we can influence the autonomic nervous system. And when we look at different conditions such as um, diabetes and other chronic conditions, those individuals are in an increased stress response, increased sympathetic drive. And we have to ask the question, are we really going to get to the bottom of those conditions when the body is in that stress response all the time? So, you know, the research over the last 30 years is really looking at heart rate variability, which is an objective measurement of vagal tone. And this it's really telling us how well is the body and mind in balance. And it's very important that we are in balance. We don't want to be too stressed. We don't want to be too relaxed. But we can self-regulate through the breath. And it's not about taking this. See, this is the thing about breathing, you know. You talk to people about breathing and their eyes just kind of glaze over and they think it's a load of nonsense because there's been too much you know, left of field stuff going on about it, which has turned the rest of the population off. Mm. There's no beads. There's no robes. There's no open sandals. There's none of this nonsense that goes on. You know, this is about the very crooks, little tools and techniques that we can all use in our way of life to regulate our states. Like I'll tell you some of the people I work with. Well, I work with all sorts of people. I work with really top class mus- musicians. Um somewhere in the top 10 in the world. I work with world-class boxers. I work with snipers. So I've been brought in to work with elite military snipers. And these guys are highly trained. Wow. Teaching them how to, how to breathe while pulling the trigger of a gun. But it's, it's simple stuff when you think about it. And then, see, this information then, it should be in the corporate world. But even the young kid that's doing an exam, sitting outside the exam while waiting to go in, if the kid gets anxious, their breathing is faster, their breathing is harder, they sigh more. And of course, the body then is telling the brain that the body is under threat. And all the brain wants to do is get you out of there. The brain is here to protect the body. Mm-hmm. But we need to be very careful of what the body communicates to the brain. 
And when we get into a difficult situation, not to hyperventilate, and it's not as if the, the young child is having a panic attack, no. It's just that their breathing has got a little bit faster and harder and they are sighing more. At that point, the body is telling the brain that things are not okay and all the brain wants to do is get the child out of that situation. So, you know, when you think about it, how many times as adults do we bottle up when the going gets too tough? And the reason being is because we go into that natural fight or flight response, which has protected us throughout evolution. But it's not a, a suitable for today's environment. But knowing this stuff, you can focus in on your breathing. You can slow down your breath. You can make your breath lighter. You can breathe lower. You can breathe nose. And this way you can regulate states. And the other, the other thing about this, I'm probably talking too much, but this is a major impact then on many major health disciplines, sleep. And I wrote a paper that was published in the Journal of Clinical Medicine in 2021. I wrote it with two ear, nose and throat doctors. And I spoke about the importance of how you breathe during wakefulness is, is going to determine how you breathe during sleep for insomnia, for snoring, and also for obstructive sleep apnea. If our sleep isn't right, our mind isn't right. Mental health problems. The worst. And there's a bi-directional relationship there. When we're stressed, we can't sleep right. But when our sleep is poor, our mind isn't right. But also when our sleep is poor, our diet isn't right. When our sleep is poor, our focus isn't right. So then you can look at breathing. We can directly affect respiration itself. You know, when COVID come, many people started thinking about their breathing then. And is there a way to breathe to have to reduce your risk of getting something like lung, getting something like COVID? We have a gas called nitric oxide that's produced in the paranasal sinuses. It was first discovered on the exhaled breath of the human being in 1991. And it's antiviral. You know, why weren't we told to breathe in and out through our nose? Like I was doing simple things when COVID was around. If I went to a supermarket, I would literally, if I was near people, I would hold my breath or I would reduce the volume of air that I was breathing in. We were told to wear masks. Young kids and people with anxiety and panic disorder were wearing masks. They had this mask on. They were feeling suffocated while wearing the mask. That was putting them into faster breathing and upper chest breathing and launching them into a fight or flight response. And some of these kids were wearing masks for six and eight hours a day. They should have been taught, yes, wear a mask. If you have to wear a mask, wear a mask. But breathe nose slow and low. So there is a way to understand that your breathing is affecting your psychology. And for me, 20 years later, if I never taught one person it has given me a tremendous tool to regulate states, to access creativity, intuition, to be productive, to be calmer, but also to appreciate life. Because I'm quite content as a 50-year-old. You know, I'm, I'm very content. And I feel that the breath has helped me with that because the highs don't be too high. You know, we, we look at modern life, you know, something goes right and there's all high fives and screaming and jumping around the place. Something goes wrong. And they're on the floor, they can't get up off the floor. You know, and life is a series of highs and lows, you know. But when you're in that kind of, you're in that more even, even keel, yes, you enjoy the highs, but you're very able, you're well able to deal with the lows. Mm. That's what it's about. Yeah, I love that. And so, the, okay, can you talk about, like, how do you do this? Like, talk, talk us through that. The first exercise that I'd come across was to how to unblock my nose. 
And it, it's as follows. You don't do this if you're pregnant or if somebody has panic disorder or anxiety because the air hunger can tip them into a bit of a fear response. To open up your nose, take a normal breath in through your nose and out through your nose and pinch your nose and hold your nose and gently nod your head up and down. So it's a normal breath in through your nose, out through your nose, pinch your nose and hold and just gently nod your head up and down. And keep gently nodding your head up and down as you hold your breaths and keep going until, say, you feel a moderate air hunger. At the first time, do it easy enough. So I let go, but breathe in through your nose. Wait a minute and do it again. Mm-hmm. And if you do that five or six times, it will open up your nose. And that's known since 1923. We so did the pilot study. When you're saying open up your nose, so even if you can already breathe through your nose, this will open up well, your nose. It, no, if you if your if your nose is already working perfectly, oh, okay, it's not going to help that much. Okay, but, so you're saying it's somebody, blocked if you've got like a if you exactly. can't breathe through, got it, got it, got it. Okay, cool. Yes, yeah, yeah. But it's rhinitis is relatively common as well, and the problem with the stuff you know is that your mouth is open, hmm. and with mouth breathing, then there's a cascade of, and I won't even go there, but there's a lot of issues that can be associated with it. Hmm. The next exercise that I practice, which is my favorite, is breathe light. Hmm. And this is involving putting one hand on the chest and one hand just above your navel. And putting a gentle pressure with your hands against your body, just a gentle pressure. And taking a very soft and slow, gentle breath in, almost that your breath in is imperceptible. And then having a really relaxed and a slow and a gentle breath out. And the whole objective is to gently soften and slow down the speed of your breathing to the point that you feel air. So there's your breath coming into the body. And now we're really slow and relaxed, a gentle breath out. And reduce the volume of air that you are breathing by about 30%, not by holding your breath, not by freezing your breathing. Just by gently softening and slowing down the breath, you should feel air hunger. Air hunger tells you that carbon dioxide is increased in the blood. And as carbon dioxide increases in the blood, it opens your blood vessels. But it also causes hemoglobin to release oxygen to the tissues and organs. And it also stimulates the vagus nerve. So take a very soft and slow, gentle breath in through your nose and a really relaxed and a slow and a gentle breath out. So I need you to reduce the volume of air that you're taking into your body by about 30%. That you're taking less air and as you take less air in, you feel that sensation of air hunger. The air hunger shouldn't be too much. It shouldn't be too little. It should be just right. But if the air hunger gets too much, you take a rest. Do you feel air hunger there? Mm. Yeah, doing it's not it. so bad though. Like you can, it's bearable. Yes, yeah. it's yeah. bearable, and that's the way it should be. Now, when you practice that in the comfort, say sitting down in the evening time, and you're just gently slowing down your breathing, it can activate the rest and digest response pretty good. How long should you do? It? Typically, we do it in the block of about four minutes. Four minutes, and then, then we take a rest for a minute, and then we do another block of four minutes. So, if somebody has insomnia or if they want to downregulate. This is about the recovery part of it. Mm-hmm. And I'll talk about that because you can use your breath to recover, but you can also use your breathing to stress, stress the body and mind. Mm. So we use both. So it's almost that we're getting the autonomic nervous system and we're giving it a little bit of a shake. But with this one here, this helps to reduce the chemosensitivity of the body to carbon dioxide. Mm. So when you practice that, then your breathing becomes lighter both during rest, during sleep, but also during physical exercise. So an example would be, say, for example, if an athlete has a strong chemosensitivity to carbon dioxide, 
An individual with perfectionist tendencies, they are more prone to it. They're more likely to gas out too soon. So they're more likely to feel disproportionate breathlessness during physical exercise. They can experience exercise-induced bronchial constriction. They're more likely to be breathing upper chest. And because of upper chest breathing, they've got reduced recruitment of the diaphragm. But the diaphragm is there to also provide stabilization of the spine. So functional breathing and functional movement go together. So when people talk about core, they often forget about the diaphragm. But the core should be seen as a box. You've got the diaphragm at the top. You've got the pelvic floor at the bottom. You've got the abs to the front. You've got the spinal muscles to the back. So the diaphragm is part of that. It's not just for respiration, but for movement, breathing and movement go together. So that exercise also is a very calming effect. When one practices, you typically feel sleepy. So you know it's activating the rest response. But also as one practices it, pay attention to whether there's an increase in saliva in the mouth. Because when the digest response is activated, you know by the increased watery saliva that the body is ready for the digestion of food. A lot of people can't switch off. They're overstimulated. Screens, mobile phones. Mobile, f mobile phones have been probably the worst invention for people's health. You know? It works. Really so you could do this before you go to bed. It's an excellent exercise to do it. And I'd say to people... Just don't worry about how you do it because it can be a little bit tricky. The air hunger can go from too little to too much. Yeah. So don't worry about getting it, you know, perfect. Yeah. But just play with it. Just, and it's very, very simple. You sit back into a nice, comfortable chair. You can sit upright, anything at all. But don't lie down. Don't lie down and do it. You could, you could lie down. You yep. could, yes. Yep. You can do it in any posture. And you're taking a very soft and slow, gentle breath in through your nose and a really relaxed and a slow, gentle breath out. And by, so by that, breath in should be about 70%. So instead of taking 100% of the breath in, take in about 70% of the breath in. And instead of breathing out fast, have a really slow and relaxed exhalation. Mm -hmm. This reduces the volume of air that you are breathing. And as a result, carbon dioxide accumulates in the blood because it's not able to leave the body so quickly through the lungs. Mm -hmm. And we said earlier on that carbon dioxide is the main driver to breathe. So as carbon dioxide increases, Blood vessels dilate, you know. And I remember back in the day, my hands used to be always cold. My feet were always cold. And by practicing that breathing technique, I can bring and improve the circulation of my hands. That's normal. We see it all the time. Amazing. I also started looking then into what's called the Bohr effect, you know, because I'm currently writing a book on breathing for yoga. And you would, you would ask, why on earth do we need to write a, a book, Breathing for Yoga? Well, truth be known, it's that yoga instructors are not trained in breathing. And they don't always consider breathing from a biochemical dimension. So if, for example, you go to a yoga studio and you're hearing everybody breathing in the class and they're taking these full big breaths, they could very well be hyperventilating. Even though their respiratory rate is slow, the tidal volume, the volume of air that they're taking into their lungs is so large that their minute ventilation can be too high. And this causes a lowering of carbon dioxide. This causes their blood vessels to constrict. This causes blood pH to go too high. This causes arousal of the central nervous system, but also hemoglobin, which is the main carrier of oxygen in the blood, holds onto oxygen more readily. So if yoga instructors knew that by changing breathing patterns to light, slow and low, and especially the light, it's a really important component that often gets overlooked. Mm. 
that they could influence breathing. If they could influence airways, blood circulation, oxygen delivery, and the autonomic nervous system. And I think with, when people are talking about taking these full big breaths, they may be putting an information out there that it's good to be taking these full big breaths. It's not good to take a full big breath. Okay, every now and again we will have a sigh, maybe every 10 minutes, maybe every 15 minutes. But people with irregular breathing or people with dysfunctional breathing, people who are stressed, they sigh more, they breathe faster, they breathe harder. It's not just a stressful event that changes your breathing pattern, but it's your breathing pattern which is feeding back into your stress response. And that's that cycle that I want to kind of connect. Like the, um, you're muted. Am I muted? You're muted. Just said you're muted now. No. Um, yeah, the breath, the breath work that I usually do before bed is just like a slow four in and then eight out. And I'll just lie there in the red light and do it. And it's really relaxing. Like I nearly feel like I want to fall asleep. It's good. Yes. But you can do it because you've got good breathing. So if you think about it this way, four seconds in and eight out, it's 12 seconds. So it's five breaths per minute, which is an excellent breathing rate, 5.5, five breaths per minute in terms of bringing balance to the autonomic nervous system. But think about somebody with anxiety and panic disorder. If their respiratory rate is normally 16, 17, 18, 19 breaths per minute, and they're all of a sudden asked to breathe down to five breaths per minute, they won't be able to do it. So oftentimes, you know, when we focus on the breath itself, we have to be careful about who is the person that's doing it in front of us. Mm-hmm. So instead of going from 16 or 17 breaths down to five, that person should be brought from. In actual fact, half the time, I don't even count the breath. And the reason being is because you could breathe in for four and you're breathing out for eight. Mm-hmm. Somebody else who's doing it could be taking a full big breath in for four seconds and out for eight. Another person who's really experienced could be breathing very subtly in for four seconds. I'm very, very slowly out for eight. So the idea of four, eight, of course, is wonderful, but it doesn't take into consideration tidal volume. It doesn't take into consideration the volume of air that you're breathing during that practice. Now, the basics of it is, is very good. You know, you've got an exhalation that's twice that of the inhalation, which is brilliant because it's the speed of the exhalation that tells the brain whether we are going into relaxation or not. If we breathe out fast, the body is telling the brain that we're stressed. But if we take a soft breath in through the nose and a really relaxed and slow, gentle breath out, because of that really slow, gentle breath out, it's almost that the brain is hardwired that when the brain recognizes that really slow exhalation, the brain interprets that the body is safe and the brain then will send signals of calm to the body. We can use this information to our advantage because throughout evolution, whenever we did get stressed, we never had a slow exhalation. We always had rapid breathing, upper chest breathing, irregular breathing. But how many of us are doing that all the time? Mm. And what is that telling the brain? But by simply knowing that, any time that we notice that our breathing is getting faster, harder, irregular, stepping in and slowing down the breath, lighter, slower, lower. But by bringing these techniques into everyday life, your resilience then improves and with that, then your stress handling ability gets better as well. It's so simple. It's so simple. Yeah. And is that it? Yes. <laughs> that's that's one aspect of it. So we're looking at, now I use about 26 different breathing exercises. Yeah. But in the main, what I would say is 
even starting with that, you know, and for people to think like, how do you breathe when you get stressed? And then think about how should you be breathing when you bring your body and mind into relaxation. So you have to do the opposite. So stress, when we get stressed, our breathing is faster. Well, then to activate the relaxation response, we should be slowing down our breathing. During stress, our breathing gets harder. We breathe more. So therefore, we shouldn't be taking these full big breaths. We should be doing light breathing, what we did earlier on. With stress, we breathe upper chest. Well, therefore, we should be breathing with lateral expansion and contraction of the diaphragm. So having our hands either side of the lower ribs, and as we breathe in, to push the lower ribs out, and as we breathe out, to draw the lower ribs in. Instead of having irregular breathing that happens during stress, we should be looking for regular breathing. And somebody who is sighing a lot, that could be a sign that they have air hunger. But air hunger is a sign then that their breathing is off from a biochemical dimension. And I would say, Kitty, that the best breathing exercise ever is to go for a walk or a fast walk or a light jog with your mouth closed. Mm. It's so different than doing it with your mouth open. If you do physical exercise with your mouth open, you are not getting improvements to your breathing from a biochemical dimension. If you simply do your physical exercise with your mouth closed, and I'm talking about light, low to moderate exercise, that you can sustain nasal breathing. Think about what's happening there. You're breathing through your nose during exercise. You're protecting your airways. The connection between the nose and the brain in terms of a calming effect, because a lot of people do exercise to calm the body and mind. But if they do it with the nose, it will even improve on that. Gas exchange is better. There's nearly a 10% increase in oxygen uptake in the blood by breathing in and out through the nose. But also when you do physical exercise with the mouth closed, carbon dioxide is higher in the blood. How do we know? you feel an increased sensation of air hunger. As carbon dioxide increases in the blood, 50,000 miles of blood vessels are, are dilating. And also hemoglobin, which is the main carrier of oxygen, is releasing oxygen more readily. And this is all normal physiology. Nose breathing is also better connected with the diaphragm. Nose low and slow breathing. That's the way we should be. You know, every gym should be talking about breathing instead of guys and girls going in and pushing themselves and mouth breathing and overtraining and overdoing it and activating a stress response. They're not taught about recovery. And also people with poor breathing will not want to do physical exercise because they have too much of a sensation of breathlessness. But they are the very group of people who need to do physical exercise. You know, we have to think of the normal individual that if they get out of breath during exercise, it puts them off. And okay, then what they may do is they may go to yoga because they feel it's more um, appropriate for them. But in the yoga class, they could be then hyperventilating, which is the last thing they should be doing because they could already have chronic hyperventilation syndrome. It's really just an understanding. And that's what I would love to do. You know, I'd love to put a better understanding out there because this information can be just brought into what, whatever you are doing and you can get better benefits from it. Yeah, it's so it's so simple too. That's what I like about it. Yeah, so good. Um, and so what I'll do is I'll pop the link to your like book down in the show notes, and then you say that you work. So, what other programs and things do you offer for people if they wanted to work with you and your team? So I have every six weeks I give a class on asthma. It's two it's two hours long, and it costs I think it's fifty US dollars or maybe seventy five US dollars for the two hours. It's a small group of people, about 15, 20 people. I also give one for sleep issues. 
are given for anxiety and panic disorder. Um, we have a lot of programs for sports performance. And yeah, we've got a lot of lot of things going on, actually. I've got nine books. Um, one, the more recent one is called The Breathing Cure. It's 500 pages. It's a deep dive. I'll actually show it to you here. And the reason being is because I wanted to bring the science to breathing. Now, this is a little bit scientific, <laughs> uh, but I think it's important because all too often we think that breathing is just, you know, so there's a this book here. You can see it's pretty, it's pretty big. <laughs> um, and women's breathing is different than men's breathing. You know, that's been known since 1905. People don't talk about it. Hormonal changes in women. So there's a time that women should be pushing themselves during physical exercise, during work, etc. And then there's a time that they should be taking a little bit easier in terms of going with the cyclic motions of the, the menstrual cycle. Progesterone is a respiratory stimulant. So how many females then who have the symptoms of PMS? Well, it's so understudied. One study showed that women with symptoms of PMS, that they have a strong chemosensitivity to carbon dioxide. And what happens is that as progesterone increases, so this is post-ovulation with luteal phase, progesterone increases, estrogen increases. Progesterone is a respiratory stimulant. Breathing becomes faster and harder. Carbon dioxide levels can drop by as much as 25%. This will increase pain perception, but it will also contribute to fatigue, anxiety, panic. So females are two to three times more likely to have panic disorder than males. Now, if a female then was working on improving her breathing patterns from a biochemical dimension, but also tracking, we use a score called the Bolt score. And this is the length of your comfortable breath hold time after an exhalation. That if the female was watching her Bolt score, would say during the menstrual phase, and then you've got the follicular phase, proliferative phase, and then going into ovulation. And then post-ovulation, she noticed her Bolt score is taking a real dip. Now that will tell her to some degree that progesterone is having quite a strong effect on her breathing pattern and her breathing pattern, if it's going into hyperventilation, is bringing on her symptoms. And then she can start just slowing down her breathing, breathing light, breathing nose, breathing low, because the one thing about the breath is you can tap into it. Um, epilepsy, diabetes, functional movement, sleep, children, you know, there's some wonderful orthodontists in Australia that know about the effects of mouth breathing in childhood and how it causes craniofacial abnormalities. And it does. Dr. Derek Mahoney, for example, he's based in Randwick in Sydney. And um, he's been talking about this for decades. He speaks internationally about it. But many others do as well. So, you know, there's information that's out there that should be, yeah, it's a pity it's all buried in PubMed. And that's where it's at. Mm. But this was great, really great. So do you think maybe put the link to your website? Is that probably the best place that people can go there? They can see all your books, all your courses yes. you've got. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, that was amazing. Thank you so much for coming on. You're yeah. welcome. It's a pleasure. Even if people you know, don't buy the books or just do the simple try, just try it. Try the four minutes, do it at night. You know, see how you feel and if you notice a difference, which I'm sure you will, and then, you know, get stuck into some of the books. We we have a new app coming out in about two weeks and the I've just put 12 months into it and I put $150,000 into the app. The app is free. It contains everything. Oh. Um, so the app is, it's got about 100 videos and it's got 26 exercises 
you put in your daily plan. So if you're a female, you can hit female and it will give you a daily plan. Awesome. And it will give you exercise to downregulate, but also to upregulate. Yeah. And if you have sleep apnea, you put in sleep and it gives you that daily plan. Yeah. So we put a lot of work into it because I'm kind of stepping back a small bit, but I wanted something where well, we have as well, a lot of instructors that are, that are there. And again, the whole drive for us is to help get breathing out there to the to the general population, you know, because I'll just give you a, a small story in the back end of that. In 2002, when I started this, n very few people wants to know about breathing. Very few people. Uh, medical doctors gave me quite a bit of pushback. The Asthma Society of Ireland gave me even more pushback, even though there were clinical trials. And the first clinical trial, by the way, for the Buteco method outside of Russia was in Australia in 1994 for asthma, because Australia is one of the highest asthma populations in the world. Here are the results of that trial. It was published in the Australian Medical Journal in 1998. It took four years for the, the trial to be published. The Buteco group after 12 weeks, they had 40, 49% less need for inhaled corticosteroid. They had 90% less need for bronchodilator drugs, and they had 70% less coughing, wheezing, and breathlessness. The control group who was taught the in-house program at the Matter Hospital in Brisbane, zero percent change. Wow. Now that's the difference from a breathing technique to another breathing technique. Incredible. And the reason the reason that the Buteco group was because people with asthma, they were taught to breathe in and out through their nose, to breathe light, to breathe slow, but also breath holding to open up the airways. Mm. So, you know, back in 2002, there was pushback. So I said, well, how am I going to get this into the population? So I wrote a book called Asthma Free Naturally. That was published internationally. And then Close Your Mouth and then Kids Books. And that's how I did it. In my way, that's how I was able to get that. I always want to get the information into the hands of the person who needs it. Because I believe that this is going to happen, not from a top-down approach. And I'm not going to blame anybody in the medical profession. The doctor who was trained has got a lot of pressure to stay within a certain narrow diameter. And if that doctor deviates outside of that, they get criticized by their peers. Mm. So the doctor is, is very much in a, you know, a straitjacket in terms of what they can prescribe and what they cannot prescribe, even when it comes to simple breathing techniques. But Kitty, I always ask the question, does it make sense for people who would ask me to go around with the mouth open? And the vast majority of them are doing that because of when they have inflammation of the lungs that travels up to the nose. And when you have a stuffy nose, you're not going to breathe through it because of the sensation of air hunger. So now these children and adults are taking cold, dry, unfiltered air directly into their lungs, which is causing aggravation of the airways. Why aren't our asthma societies stepping up to the plate here and talking about the importance of nose breathing? They don't want to. And I will tell you that they are resistant to talking about the benefits of nose breathing for people with asthma. You don't need clinical trials. The nose does a job that the mouth doesn't. And that's another discussion, you know. So 20 years on, you kind of, you, um, yeah, you, you want to, to push it out there regardless. Well, I was always that way anyway, regardless of what people think. I love it. So good. And I'm sure like, you know, because obviously it's not, tons of our followers that have asthma, but anyone who does is listening to this, I'm like, get on board. Amazing. You know, and it's so cheap. Yes. Like, yeah. Well, if, when the app comes out, it's free. 
Yeah. So, right. You know, so, when do you think yeah. that's coming out? Uh, it's a final testing now. It was due out before Christmas, so we're expecting it to be out in two weeks. We built an app ourselves, and what a bloody process it is. Fuck. Right. Isn't it? Holy shit. And money. Money. Yes. It's an endless bit of money, I feel like it's been for us. And there's all these, yeah. ex- you do it, and then you have a revision, and then, you know, there's an extension, and then it's like, yeah. 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 If I knew what it was going to be this, I wouldn't have started this, you know, since I thought it was going to cost me about 30,000 US dollars. And oh, I yeah. said, okay, we'll go with that, you know. Yeah. And then it was 75,000, but then you're already in. And then the other thing is, you know, do you do it? Everybody is saying you're crazy. You should be putting it out in a subscription model, but that deters then the very person that I want to get it out to. I don't pay for any apps. Mm-hmm. If if there's a subscription and an app, I typically don't pay. I don't, but I, I'm not very technological anyway. So that's why I decided we put it out for free. And sure. if nothing else, it generates awareness. Yeah. Yeah. It just gets more people. Yeah. They just get onto your message, I think. Yes. And yeah, that's that's my books and yeah no I'm really enjoying reading your book I'll continue to read my five or six pages per night <laughs> do the red light and the breathing first I'm going to do your breathing though now I'll try that over the next few nights instead of the breath work which is yeah but I could even feel it just doing it while we're sitting here you can just feel yourself relaxing yeah no it's in in classes we see it and people start yawning it's it's quite common mm. you know because and it's simple like. If any time you want to downregulate, breathe light. That's when you soften your breathing to take less air into your body. That stimulates the vagus nerve. So carbon dioxide is vagotropic, stimulates the vagus nerve, activates the rest and digest response. Breathing slow, especially the speed of the exhalation. And if you slow down your breathing to between 4.5 and 6.5 breaths per minute, stimulates the vagus nerve. Breathing low stimulates the vagus nerve. Nose breathing during sleep increases heart rate variability. People will know that if they're wearing aura rings or whatever. And then if you want to stress the body and mind, hyperventilation is very common, but it's got a huge risk for people who already have chronic hyperventilation. Mm. Breath holding is very common, but again, it can be risky for susceptible people. And I put people into panic attacks Mm. and I put people into one guy into accident and emergency. We have to be very careful with the stressor exercises. The stressor exercises are like going for a sprint. Yes, they're suitable for some people, but they're not suitable for everybody and they need to be tailored. So that's the thing about breathing. We can't just say, and the other thing is, I suppose that when you work with seven or eight or nine, I don't know, many thousand people, but I've worked directly with a lot of people. You learn stuff over the way and sometimes you learn it the hard way, but you kind of have to learn that information. And that just gives you a better insight into the breath. And then you know then about tailoring breathing to that person. Mm -hmm. So a person comes in with panic disorder. I have a different program than somebody with sleep or somebody with asthma or somebody who is coming in for mental performance. It's different. That's it's the nuances that are important. Mm -hmm. So good. Yeah. And look, I'll put the website details so people can check you out, check out the practitioners, work with someone. Um, yes, I think it's really valuable if you are suffering from any of those things that you spoke about to actually work with someone. Um, yes, yeah, it's yeah. always it's always better. Well, I suppose, you know, why would you have a coach? The information is out there, mm. but if the coach is the person who keeps you and gives you the feedback, and I think the motivational part of it is a huge. It keeps you accountable too, you know, to make you show up and actually do the work. 
Because it's easy when you're not paying someone to go, no, I'll just read the book and I'll do a bit, but I won't actually do it this week. So, yeah, no, I am a huge believer in coaching and I've always invested in it because I think if you're going to do it, it it makes you do it, basically. That's for sure. Yeah, agreed. (laughs) Oh, well, that was great. Thank you so much for coming on. I um, really appreciate it. And everyone, I will drop all those links below in the show notes. Check out Patrick. You check out his books, you know, maybe get in contact, do some work with someone. Um, yeah, and I'm looking forward to seeing the app come out. Thanks so much. Please. Thanks, Kelly.